I don't know if you saw, but I saw out of the corner of my eye, processing with the gospel, someone in costume skipping to Halle, Halle, Hallelujah, right down the side aisle. And that's when we realized that song can be skipped to. How fun. In our Old Testament lesson from the prophet Isaiah, we hear God say, come now, let us argue it out. Hmm, arguing is really not something many of us are inclined to do or even interested in. It begs the question, though, of what would make it even worthwhile. Perhaps we quickly assess the answer to these three questions. What are we arguing about? Who am I arguing with? And how do we know the argument has been won? In the premarital counseling that I have done for almost 20 years, I have a very favorite book, and it has a chapter entitled Fighting Fair. And every couple I've counseled loves that chapter. It has great guidance, not on how to persuade or to cajole or anything like that, but how to have an argument be effective. And I say to couples, the goal here is to get so good at arguing that it takes less time and there's not a lot of collateral damage. So we need to get good at arguing. Arguing can be effective in bringing about greater clarity, sense of purpose, collective direction. And the Lord says, come now, let us argue it out. We are begging to consider what are we arguing about? Who am I arguing with? How do we know the argument has been won? There are some pretty significant arguments in the scriptures. Arguments with the Lord, Abraham has an argument or two, Moses has a couple, Jacob has a couple, the fictional character of Job has several in that book, even Jonah argues with God. Jesus argued with the powerful leaders of his day. So arguing, it could be assessed or concluded, can be a holy act. Let us turn, though, to Abraham's argument with God, in particular about the city of Sodom. Because God had set out to destroy that city because he could find no righteousness there. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, it starts like this. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from me, far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Are you amazed at Abraham's boldness? <laughs> he jumps right in. There are exclamation marks in the words that he says to the Lord. What is he arguing about? Whether or not Sodom should be destroyed. Who is Abraham arguing with? He's arguing with the Lord. How do we know that the argument has been won? When God's justice and mercy is done. The story goes on. And you wonder, 
what Abraham realized after he got God to agree that if there are 50 righteous, he would save the city. Because the story goes on, Abraham answered, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, who I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, Abraham spoke to the Lord, suppose 40 are found there. You feel his confidence growing a little bit. The Lord answers, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then Abraham said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. The Lord answered, I will not destroy it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. The Lord answers, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham says, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. And the Lord answers, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. The argument was over. The ability to argue it out with God is born from a sense of intimacy. With Abraham, he wondered, what am we arguing about? Whether or not Sodom should be destroyed. Abraham thought, who am I arguing with? The Lord, who can destroy it but also the Lord who is just and merciful. And so how do we know the argument has been won? When Abraham feels certain that the Lord remembers that he himself is both just and merciful and will reflect that in his decision. Now, as you know, the city of Sodom was destroyed. Any good argument with the people we've grown to love should result in us drawing close together closer together. And many arguments don't fit within one conversation. Successful arguing requires a shared emotional commitment to the highest good for all. So we must apply deep listening, non-defensiveness, and a curiosity to learn. Yes, even with the Lord. The prophet Micah says in chapter 6, what does the Lord require of you? To do justice to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And Jesus, with his disciples at the Last Supper, gave one commandment, love one another. This is a very simple list of requirements, except that they can be burdensome, especially when we try to start with an effort in us. If we, by sheer determination, say, I am going to do justice, I am going to love others. I'm going to. I'm going to do it today. I didn't do that great yesterday, but today is a better day, and I'm going to do it better today. If that's where we start from, it does become burdensome. We might say, why is this so hard? That's what I say. <laughs> we might even say, this is impossible. I've said that too. And so we can, at times, give up. This is a lost case. I should just let this go. We do this often, give up, when we're not seeing the change that we expected. Perhaps the change is too slow. 
or it's too different from what we had imagined. Maybe it's a little circuitous. It's not really direct. Maybe it's inefficient. Yes, this is how change comes along. Perhaps you're saying to me, Whitney, I would love to work on justice, but my own life is held together by tape and string and the hope that the wind doesn't blow too hard. Sometimes you're like that. But maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you say, yes, I mean, it's all fine, life, but if I move one piece, it unsettles the whole structure. And so maybe that's why saying yes to doing justice seems like an impossible or most challenging answer. Adam Bucko, a contemplative activist and an Episcopal priest, shares these words. Intimacy with God is our birthright, each of our birthright. He goes on to say, it is why we are here, to open ourselves to the inner mystery of the heart of reality, which is the heart of each one of us, to open ourselves to that love to see the world through its eyes and to live from it with courage and commitment. All of this has to start with each of us. It has to start with my commitment to a practice of prayer. All of this has to start with my adopting a way of life that can help me grow and nourish my spiritual life, including building community, so that I may become God's hands and feet and microphone for healing and justice in the world. In this book from which I quote, entitled, Let Your Heartbreak Be Your Guide, Lessons in Engaged Contemplation, he outlines some steps to help us grow in our capacity for justice work. First, he says, commit to engaging the world from a place of prayer and not ideology. Commit to engaging with the world from a place of prayer. He says, this gives you a felt sense of interconnectedness of all life and God, and it prevents othering. This description of those people, those others, it prevents that prayer. Second, he says, commit to doing the work of coming to terms with your social location and how it relates to systemic racism, poverty, militarism, ecological devastation, and some of the distorted moral narratives that are so prevalent. Prayer can lead you to discover the answer to this, these two questions. Are there privileges you need to acknowledge or let go of? Are there commitments you need to reevaluate? Third, remember that talking about justice is not the same as doing justice. So simplify your life and commit to ethical living. He suggests we can do this by buying all our necessities in socially responsible, ecologically minded, and human scale companies. Two other points he makes. Practice works of mercy, making sure that your hands are touching the hands of someone who is suffering, and include Mother Earth in that as well. And finally, join a social movement, because changing your spending habits or serving others is only part of what is needed. Our lives and relationships do not happen in a vacuum, but rather within institutions and systems that have their own crooked logic and are in need of massive changes. So I returned to the Lord's words. Come now, let us argue it out. 
will know that the argument is over when it demonstrates that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent in punishing. Does that sound like a good place to finish the argument? Or as Jesus says, let us argue it out. I came to save the sinners and the lost. The argument will be over when the outcome demonstrates my purpose. How does that sound? We might reflect and say, yes, I'm probably a sinner. I know that I'm lost. We can see even in Jesus that argument is well worth it. When he argues it out in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he is tried and executed. He asks in general, isn't there another way to demonstrate my purpose to save the sinners and the lost? And as he argues it out all through the night, he comes to the statement, not my will, but thine be done. Because ultimately he wants more than anything to, for us to know his love and salvation of us. Going back to Bucko, Adam Bucko, I hear, we hear these words. Deepening your connection to God in you and around you, do not be afraid to feel the love, the joy, and also the pain that are present. Don't be afraid to have a heart and to risk breaking your heart. Feel into it all and know that every time you are touching the pain, you are touching the sacred wound of God. God who is always accompanying us and guiding us. God who is suffering with us. God whose life-giving love and justice will one day be all in all. My dear friends, a life of love, of living into God's justice, always begins with prayer. And it returns to prayer. It's in prayer that we argue it out. And it's in the argument that, if we're willing, we'll see that God's ways are what we honestly want because they're our salvation too. So I encourage you, if you are given the invitation to argue it out, accept it. It is a form of prayer. God will use the argument to show you God's heart and you will find yourself in it. Amen.